This podcast channel is about you, successful international entrepreneurs, successful expats, successful investors, sponsored by HCJ Contacts. Thank you for joining us. My name is Darren Joseph from HCJ.tax. We're a team of cross-border tax advisors, accountants, and lawyers who seek to demystify the somewhat confusing world of international tax. We do these live streams, at least we try to do these live streams every week. But regardless, we do produce content daily that is published on our social media, YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and basically wherever you get your podcast. Now, sorry, I'm just waiting for, okay, yeah, everything is on. So you were invited to submit questions. So if there are any questions that you wanted to touch on, any issues that you wanted to discuss or touch on, please feel free to type them in the box below. I know some of you did send them by email. If you sent it, yes, we've seen it, we have it. But time permitting, it is not too late to type in the box below. Of course, since we are licensed tax advisors, we are not yet your licensed tax advisors. So please keep in mind that nothing we say here should be construed as advice. We're having a general conversation about, about what I hope to be, would be considered important tax principles that you guys as remote workers, as nomads need to keep in mind as you make your way across the world, I guess. So, so I'm just waiting on, yes, Facebook is up. Okay, fantastic. Great. This is being recorded. So for those who cannot stay for the entire hour duration, please, yes, to, to answer your question. Yes, it will be available. But basically, wherever you get your favorite podcast will be available, including on our website. On our website, we have over 2,000 articles on international tax matters, as well as over a thousand videos on YouTube and various podcasting platforms. Every day we publish in like 23, 24 podcasting platforms. So, so yeah. Okay, right. So I think that's it from an administrative point of view. So let's jump into the questions. And again, if you haven't given it in advance, feel free to type in the box below and we get to them in the order in which we receive them. So let's start talking about, okay, somebody wants to talk about Portugal. Yes, for those who have the privilege and the opportunity to work remotely, Portugal is an increasingly popular jurisdiction. And we do get, we get dozens of inquiries daily and Portugal, Dubai, and of course, Singapore, which is where we're based, have to be the top three. So, but let's talk about Portugal. Someone is asking about whether they can run an LLC from Portugal tax-free under the NHR, which is called the uh, NHR stands for the Non-Habitual Residence Program. Now, this is, it's kind of contentious in that I know there are different advisors saying different things. Let's first of all start off by what an LLC is. So an LLC is a unique creature in law and that's a hybrid entity. So it's it does provide limited liability protection. So that's what it was designed to provide limited liability protection. But it's 
it, it, it typically, if, let's say that you're based in the US, it typically won't confer any special tax benefit. So it's not really, uh, a, you know, at its heart, it's not really a tax play, but it's all about limited liability or protection. Protection, uh, you know, because otherwise without the, 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 the benefits of limited liability protection, should there be some sort of dispute with a customer, with a client, a supplier, whatever the case may be, you would be laid bare so they can come after you for your personal assets as well so that's why it's super important that you uh, we, you know i tell clients all the time the last thing you want to do is anything in your own name you want to use an entity okay now the llc from a tax point of view it's transparent so in other jurisdictions, the closest comparison would be a partnership if there's more than one of you or a sole proprietorship or a sole trader if there's just one person. So that's that's essentially what an LLC is. Now, now, now we've discussed what it is, at least within the US context. So if you are living and if you do move to Portugal and you spend time and you become tax resident there, I know there are some advisors there's some conversation about whether under the nhr it can be enjoyed the income derived from the llc community enjoy tax-free now under the nhr it does allow for foreign derived dividends to be received into portugal tax-free under the non-habitual residence program but remember well not remember with an llc because it's transparent it doesn't technically give you any dividends so there are no dividends with an LLC, the distributions, which may seem, it, it's more than just terminology. This has a different definition in, in law. So that this is something that needs to be really kept in mind. So that that's, that's the first thing. Uh, so then the question is, okay, well, therefore, how are these distributions treated? Well, the, the NHR was designed, when it was designed, it was contemplated that the benefit will be given to foreign derived dividends and a distribution technically is not always a dividend. It, it may be under certain circumstances, it can be interpreted as such, but you know, you can't just assume that anything that comes from an LLC is, can be treated like a dividend in Portugal. It probably depends on the facts and circumstances. So. Having said all of that, is it possible? Generally speaking, no, because for most people, they are single members, what we call a single member LLC. So they are the real person who is running the entity. And once they decide to run that entity from Portugal, one of the tests in international tax and determining where an activities to be taxed or where entities to be taxed, one of the tests is around management and control. So that entity, even though it's a limited liability company, management and control of it is being exercised from Portugal, it becomes taxable to Portugal. So but yeah, so essentially be treated as business profit. So or some people treat it as capital distribution or capital gains and therefore tax it at 28%. And some people treat it as business and it's taxed at 20%. Regardless of how it's interpreted, it will really not be 
a subject to zero tax because I see this is what in some discussion forums that's what is being positioned as there's this incredibly smart way of moving to Portugal and enjoying zero tax uh well unless you're a U.S. person when you're going to be paying tax anyway so just just to make it clear it will not be subject to zero tax and if you have a look at our website I think I mentioned our website has over 2,000 articles that are just their free content and you do a search, you go to articles and you do a search for treatment of U.S. LLCs in Portugal. I repeat, treatment of U.S. LLCs in Portugal. Uh, it's important because it, it makes, in, in that article that I wrote, I made reference to a specific case that was uh, not tried, but it was, uh, you know, it was decided in Portugal. This is back in 2017, so in December 2017. And it, the facts of the case, you know, I have it both in Portuguese and in English. So it was considered and the decision of, you know, that, of that particular court is that no, it, it is no way, you know, it, it would not be tax-free. So it would be subject to tax in, in Portugal. So have a look at it. But the bottom line is that I know that there's a lot of discussion and a lot of heated discussion from what I hear, but they, the authorities in Portugal have made a determination and well anybody who really understands the nuances of international tax law would have seen it as pretty obvious it, it's not going to be subject to it's not it's not a loophole it's, it's you're not tax free to portugal generally speaking so i i hope that answers that question and again for those who are joining i did receive your questions in advance those that sent in and if you didn't have a chance to do so, please feel free to type them in the box below and I'll get to them in the order in which they are received. Second question. Okay, somebody's asking from a tax point of view, what are the top jurisdictions for nomads who want the first world experience and they're actively running a business? Okay, so so that's, yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a pretty topical and typical question so the world is your oyster the world is there at your feet we have on our website if you do a search for nomad visas it was last updated sometime in january this year so it probably needs to be updated because this stuff changes so quickly so we had tracked about 56 nomad visas across the world so from an immigration point of view the world uh jurisdictions across the world are increasingly becoming aware of the the benefits of having a long-term visitor program so you know it's not just about a tourist coming in somebody's coming in for a weekend or a week or two but there's some people that want to stay a few months up to a year or maybe two years so with that in mind jurisdictions are quite welcoming i mean welcoming being one of the the pioneers would be the welcome stamp in barbados and most recently there's been one in spain so and lots in between. So there's a lot going on in that space. You have a lot to choose from. But, you know, everybody has their own perspective. Everybody has their own point of view. It's very subjective. What is a place that you would enjoy? We do have a package. If you if you just come to our website, hg.tax, uh, you, you'd find that we do have some packages to help you decide, if, you know, where in the world that you're going to go to. But generally speaking, for those who want the first world benefits, because yes, there you can enjoy 
uh, very low cost living in emerging markets, but it comes at a price. Infrastructure is not what it is in a first world jurisdiction, obviously. And you pay, you know, things don't get handled in a, a quick manner. You have Wi-Fi problems. It's slow. It's always dropping. It's not reliable, especially if you're a remote worker. That's super important. But anyway, generally speaking, and, and the term first world, of course, is quite subjective. It's not, you know, but let's let's put aside all those nuances and, and just speak generally to for our for our clients, I think the two most popular jurisdictions right now. Well, if you if you're asking from a tax point of view, you remember if you are U.S. exposed, you're going to pay U.S. taxes regardless of where you reside, right? So, right, there's there's not much you can do about that. So, if you are U.S. exposed and you work, you work remotely outside of the U.S. The main benefit is that Section 911 foreign income exclusion, which it moves with inflation, but for 2022, as we're doing 22 returns right now in 2023, it's $112,000. So the first $112,000 plus your standard deduction, plus you get a housing allowance as well. So depending on where you are, that could be $140,000, maybe $180,000, dollars It's still declared in your tax return, but it won't be subject to taxes. Generally speaking, this is earned income. I'm not talking about passive income. And I'm not talking about self-employed income, which is subject to self-employment tax, but I'm just talking about remote workers who are earning wages from a, you know, from an employment, an employee-employee relationship. That's the huge win right there, that foreign income exclusion. So if you, you know, in the mid to high six figures, yeah, it is something that is noticeable, right? But once you get into seven figures it's probably not going to be as meaningful a, uh, an arrangement. And, you know, there are options that you could explore if you talk to teams like us. So anyway, so from a U.S. point of view, you work abroad, you enjoy that foreign income exclusion, which is a, a, a huge benefit for earned income. Now, if you're not U.S. exposed, uh, well, then, you know, that's 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 a, a great win right there because typically once you sever tax residency with your country of origin and you do so in the appropriate manner, you may be able to break free of their of their tax net, right? And it has to be done in the appropriate manner because increasingly jurisdictions are becoming uh, stickier and that there are these fallback rules. So for the big English speaking countries, so Canada, the UK, uh, Australia, New Zealand you know that it's it's becoming an increasingly important issue yes you may not reside in those countries but depending on your circumstances and your facts and circumstances you and you may be living outside for a period of time but still you may because of the fallback rules you'd still be subject to taxes in those jurisdictions so you want to have a, a conversation with your preferred tax advisor about that to make sure that you set a tax residency in in the right way if possible Having said that, let's let's assume that you've done it. Then you know where do you want to go? For if you U.S. expose, a popular place to go is of course Puerto Rico. Because aside from we, we spoke about the foreign income exclusion, but more importantly, there's some benefits in terms of unearned income of so-called passive income, and you can enjoy under certain circumstances zero percent tax on, on passive income. So it's a huge draw. Other than that. 
and this will be for Americans and non-Americans alike, I think two of the most popular jurisdictions, at least right now, the flavor of the last few months, at least, would be the United Arab Emirates, which, you know, the most popular of which is Dubai. So it's a, a union of several Emirates. The capital is in Abu Dhabi, but Abu Dhabi is kind of low key. The, the more boisterous, the most boisterous member of the Emirates would be, of course, Dubai. They, you know, the, the entertainment hub of, of the union. It's increasingly popular from an immigration point of view. They are so easy. It's, and it kind of came into its own during COVID when it was, for some period of time, it was the only international city that remained open to everyone. So it, it kind of really secured its place on, on the landscape and it's increased, it continues to be popular. So we could talk more about that later on, but I think Dubai is really, really popular right now. Uh, I, 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 you know, some people look at it as a, as you know, the, the greatest thing ever, but I think it's not suitable for everyone. And whereas it may be a short to medium term, but a uh, place to be based in the long term, it may not be appropriate for everyone either. So, you know, one size can't fit all, but definitely if you're going to consider a tax efficient jurisdiction with first world amenities, you want to consider the Emirates and, and Dubai in particular. Another place is, is Spain. So whereas the Emirates is generally speaking, generally speaking, now it's it's things are becoming quite nuanced now, but generally speaking, the Emirates is tax-free, assuming that you're not deriving any income domestically, that you're running your business online, you're working remotely, and your income is derived from outside of the Emirates, is going to be tax-free to you into the Emirates. Spain, mm, Spain is, again, it is nuanced. Now, Spain and Europe in general is not typically considered a high-tax jurisdiction, but what Spain has done with its nomad visa, uh, as well as the, a previous regime called the, the Beckham Law, it's created situations where you can be physically in Spain and you can be physically resident in Spain, but you're not considered tax residents in Spain, even though that's where you are. And, and that's an amazing draw. It's, it, the, you know, it, it's a limited time. So, it, you know, there's some nuance to it, but typically it won't last more than five years. And generally speaking, your income derived outside of Spain would be tax-free. And with the nomad visa, so there are two ways of getting it. There's nomad visa as well as the Beckham law. But I think the nomad visa is, is quite popular right now. You'd need to demonstrate there's a, a laundry list. You can go to various websites. There's a list of what they're looking for. It's brand new. So people are still figuring it out. But generally speaking, you need to pay yourself or you need to demonstrate that you're earning at least 2,000 euros. Uh, but aside from that, everything outside of that will be tax-free, generally speaking. And again, it's, it's quite nuanced, right? So it's really designed for that person, just like the Emirates, someone who derives their income from either an, as an independent contractor or a remote worker, employee-employee relationship with uh, an entity or with clients outside of Spain, or in the case of the Emirates, outside of the United Arab Emirates. So yeah, Spain and the Emirates would be two jurisdictions for those who want the benefits 
of that first world experience in a tax efficient manner is definitely worth considering, but they're not perfect. So tax just begins the conversation, obviously non-tax factors will inspire you as you make your ultimate decision. Okay, just looking down the questions. And again, for those that send questions, yes, we got them. If you still wanna ask questions, please feel free to type in the box below and we'll get to them in the order in which they are received. So, okay, yeah, somebody, somebody asked. Uh, so, you know, they just it's a good, you know, continuance from the, the previous point of question. So in terms of the United Arab Emirates, uh, yes, the other, the other advisors in the space who are, you know, super bullish on the Emirates that think it's the greatest thing ever, and my my assessment is more measured. It's not as superlative as other people would make it out to be. I mean, no. At the end of the day, nowhere is perfect. There's no space that is perfect, and every place has its pros and its cons. And that that just makes sense. That's just kind of obvious, right? So every everywhere has its pros and cons. So I mean, the Emirates. It is generally speaking uh tax-free generally speaking tax-free depending on your situation but you know the, of course everyone is talking about the imposition of a corporate tax at nine percent corporate tax which some would may draw certain people depending on your situation so again generally tax-free but you'd probably want to consult a tax advisor to make sure given the your unique fact pattern that it is tax-free. So that's that's a huge draw. You have the first world benefits, you have that, you know, the affordable luxury, as somebody was telling me, you have incredible living spaces, entertainment spaces, uh, shopping, and it's a great hub because at Emirates, you could basically, you want flight away from most places in the world that you'd want to visit. So it's a it's a great base. We've seen so many of our clients move there. We picked up so many clients who are there. It's probably our number two jurisdiction right now after Singapore. So I'm I'm also a resident of. Uh, I have my Emirates ID. I've been a resident of the Emirates since some well top of 2021. So relatively recently, but long enough to know that I enjoy it. And we will be hosting an in-person event at Capital Club in the DIFC uh in mid-April to so have a look at our website. I think it's on April 11th, so just before the tax deadline. So we're going to be talking taxes to those who are based in the Emirates and they have certain questions. So anyway, huge fan of the Emirates, but it's not perfect. So one of the things that for me is a it's an issue is there's no clear pathway to citizenship. So for those who want, you know, just the, the security and benefits that come from not just being a long-term resident, but by being a permanent resident or a citizen, importantly a citizen. If that's what you're looking for, the Emirates may not be for you. And uh, you know, I've met many people who've been there for decades and they said, okay, you know, it's kind of awkward that at any point in time, they may have to leave, right? Or if their circumstances change. So that that security that comes with being a citizen, that, that's generally not available. There are circumstances for exceptional individuals, but there's no tried and tested program. So that's the first thing, citizenship. Uh, another thing would be banking. Banking is very challenging. Banking is challenging everywhere. So I'm not picking on the Emirates. Banking is challenging everywhere. 
but in the Emirates in particular, it is. And I get why the Emirates has been, let's see, the, the target of sometimes fair, but sometimes unfair criticism for being a center for, let's say, nefarious activities, right? So they want to clean up their act. They want to make sure they don't go back on any one of those blacklists or those gray lists. And in order to do that, they need to make sure that they, the banking rules are as tight as can be to make sure that people are conducting uh, business affairs in a legal and reputable way. So I get why they do it, but it just makes it very difficult. Having said that, at a point in time where we're all sensitive to the stability of banks, if you're Googling and you're looking for rankings of the most stable banks in the world, you're probably not going to see any of the banks the, Emir the indigenous banks in the Emirates available uh, on that list. But if you're in Singapore, then definitely uh, the three main banks in Singapore, CBC, DBS, uh, UOB, would be in anybody's list of the top banks in the world in terms of stability. They're just easy to deal with and they're rock solid, according to the stack of people who, who do this sort of ranking. The Emirates, not, not, not so much. So there's a banking issue. There's also uh, a confidence issue. Uh, not so long ago, there was an economic crisis in the Emirates. And, you know, as a result, they had to be bailed out by, but in, this is in Dubai in particular, I'm talking about, there was an economic crisis and it had to be bailed out by Abu Dhabi. So for those who've been there long enough, for the newcomers, they have no memory of that. For if, you've, if you hang around with business people that lived through that time, they will tell you what it's like. And it was kind of, you know, it was really scary. So, you know, I, I put all that together and say, to say that money does not like uncertainty. And to a large extent, you know, the things in the Emirates are relatively uncertain, but I mean, there's no certainty anywhere, you know, black swan events can happen to anyone, any place, anytime. But the Emirates, you know, just generally speaking, is you know it's it's somewhere to proceed with caution in terms of making it the center for where you store your wealth in particular. So just just to recap, uh, no pathway to citizenship, banking, uh, recent history of instability, and general uncertainty. Those are the the key three or four reasons why I love the Emirates. I look forward to being back there in a couple of weeks, but I proceed very cautiously in terms of you know storing wealth and and things of that nature. Well, that answers your question. So moving on to the next question, somebody's asking about Switzerland. <laughs> in, I, I guess you're asking that in light of what's happening. So for those who are watching or listening to the recording of this, this is you know a day or two after the Credit Suisse. So this we, we're doing this on the 21st of, of March. So this is a couple of days a day or two after the, the instability of Credit Suisse, which was the second largest bank in Switzerland, and it's now being taken, as part of the bailout package is being taken over by UBS, which is the uh, largest bank. Uh, and in, in terms of, uh, of just being completely transparent, I did work for UBS a uh, long time ago back in London. So, and, and Switzerland, I'm a huge fan of Switzerland, whoever asked, uh, you know, it's been around for a long time and it's been a jurisdiction that's been synonymous with, 
with you know with wealth management and with asset protection and stability <laughs> generally speaking but hey we live in definitely in certain times what do i think about switzerland uh, i was speaking to a, a, a fellow professional who runs a multifamily office in either geneva or zurich i don't remember this was last week or the week before and yeah it I, I think i would definitely mirror his sentiments in that the the future for, for switzerland as a jurisdiction i think it's definitely assured it has as i said a, a long history and perhaps longer history than most jurisdictions it's been through lots of highs and lows it's a natural it is the natural offshore center one of them at least for for continental europe if not for high net worth families from all over the world including asia africa latin america so 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 yeah and with that history comes a measure of comfort and security so you have a deep and and wide network of fiduciaries of professionals lawyers accountants tax advisors wealth managers bankers who are very familiar with the jurisdiction so that talent pool is deep that talent pool is wide so you have easy access to the best in class in terms of helping you manage your wealth and if you want to move there you know helping you set up so but it's not for everyone. It's it's not Dubai. It, the the entry point is a lot higher than than Dubai. So you you probably if you know I I think you can live in Dubai comfortably on you know low to mid six figures. To to in Switzerland you're probably going to have more than that to to live comfortably because it is not a low cost jurisdiction. It is not for everyone, but. I'm I'm pretty bullish on on Switzerland, so I hope that answers your question. Uh, safety, security, history, legacy, great talent pool. Again, for those who are still joining, yes, we have got the questions that you sent in advance. But if you want to ask more questions, time permitting, we have half an hour left. Just feel free to type them in the box below, and we get to them in the order in which they're received. Next question. Okay, somebody's asking about LLCs. You're setting up an LLC in the US. So what are the, the, the things that you need to consider? You know, like the, the basics of LLCs. So again, for, for those who would not have heard it, we did discuss LLC. LLCs, generally speaking, in response to the first question. But the LLC is a unique feature in law in that it is a limited liability company. So it does provide that limited liability protection. But generally speaking, there is no tax benefit. It's, no, it's not necessarily a tax play. It is more about uh, asset protection. And, and you know, and it, so yeah, it, it's, it's more about asset protection. It's more about protecting yourself and your assets as you engage in whatever your trade of business is. It is tra tax transparent. So if the number of you will be treated as a partnership, if there's just one of you will be treated as like a sole proprietorship or sole trader, uh, more familiar terms. As to, but it, it's really easy to set up. It's fast to set up, it's easy. 
you know, you, I see people offering it online for $100, $200 and up. So it can be really cheap and fast and easy. But often these people end up in trouble because remember the, the point of the LLC is limited liability protection. And we've seen all too often people set up an LLC and they use those cookie cutter operating agreements that they just downloaded from a website or maybe they don't they don't have any agreement at all and they they, they don't uh practice let's say proper corporate discipline in in running the llc and as a result in the event of a dispute with a business partner with a supplier with a customer with an uh, independent contracting employee that you're using they under certain circumstances that veil of incorporation can be passed and that protection that you had counted on would not be available to you and the the dispute means that whoever is attacking you can come after you for your personal assets so how do you deal with that you want to make sure you have all your paperwork in place you want to have all your records in place so you first of all you want to have a separate bank account you shouldn't be commingling funds Secondly, you'd want to make sure you keep proper accounting records. And it's not just you have your spreadsheet or you have it on uh, QuickBooks or zero or whatever. It's not just that. But for unusual transactions, things of a non-routine nature, you want to make sure that there are proper records for that as well. You may want to have a meeting. Uh, and again, it, it seems kind of silly, especially if it's a single member LLC, but you still would want to make a note that on the 21st of March, 2023, you did have a, a, a meeting where you considered the purchase of another uh, MacBook or a, a Lenovo laptop and a printer. And a decision was made to empower, uh, let's say, Boris to, to go out and purchase one on behalf of the business and use it for business purposes. And you have that documented, you've signed the deal, and then you're fine. So you want to keep notes of transactions of that nature. You want to have annual general meetings. And again, everything documented, you know, have proper memos and, and whatever you need to, to, to basically demonstrate in the event of a dispute that the business is separate from you. And therefore it's worth the judge or whoever's looking at it should see no reason for allowing whoever is coming after you to see through that veil of incorporation. So again, you want to make sure your banking is, is done with discipline. You shouldn't be commingling funds. Keep proper accounting records of everything you do, as well as keep proper business records, memos, and you have general meetings and annual general meetings, to, and they, they need to be properly documented as you run your business. So I hope that helps as you consider using a US LLC. Next question. Okay, someone is asking, I want to start a business, where should I incorporate? And this is where it gets crazy because sometimes you listen to the promoters online and obviously you can tell within a couple of seconds that they're being sponsored, which is no problem. Everybody's running a business, everybody's trying to make some money, but they may be sponsored by some jurisdiction. So like, for example, in the Emirates, you have something like maybe 45 or so free trade zones or free zones. How do you know which one is the best for you? 
typically you go online and you you'll see someone's video or someone's article basically promoting the free zone that they are being that they have a connection with not the one that's best for you but the one that's paying them the highest commission right or similarly if outside of the emirates just anywhere in the world people would tend to stay in the direction of the jurisdictions that they know that they're familiar with or that they have uh, closer relationships or that they are able to make the most money on. So it's about them, not about you. So with that in mind, you'd probably want to sit with a professional who doesn't think like that, who sees the entire world as available and would understand what your needs are and to find the right jurisdiction that fits with you and your specific facts and circumstances. So once you hear someone, you know, so for some, you know, there's an old saying that for someone with a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So they have this one jurisdiction they love, and no matter what you say, they that's what they're gonna pitch at you. That's probably, you know, that's probably transparent, right? So you'd want someone who says, Let's have a conversation. So, and they'll, and in that conversation, they'll want to understand your business model. They'll be asking so many questions. What's your business model? Where are you going to be based? Where you, where's your staff going to be based? Do you sell physical products, right? And uh, are, where, where are those physical products being housed? Where's, where's the warehousing? Where's the distribution center? Uh, is the distribution being handled by dependent agents or independent agents? And even for those who are not doing physical products, services, where are the, the, the members of staff or the member of your team going to be? Particularly the key decision makers, where's, where's your C-suite going to be? Which jurisdictions are they going to set? Because that has implications, right? Or in terms of products, if you sell SaaS products, software as a service, some jurisdictions have special tax treatment of SaaS, you know, even though it's not a tangible product, it, it does trigger certain tax implications. So something for you to consider, not that it's all about tax, but it's just something to put into the mix as you decide which is the jurisdiction that's best for you. So the point is that no one can just in two minutes tell you where's the best jurisdiction for you. You'd need someone that sits with you and just does a whole lot of listening. And then based on your particular facts and circumstances, helps you decide where's the best fit for your entire business situation, right? So I hope that helps. Next question. And again, for those who've just joined, if you sent your questions in advance, yes, I did get it via email, but feel free to type in the box below and we get to them in the order in which they were received. So what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to have a look at some of the other platforms and see whether anyone else has been asking questions. Because I don't want to just pick up from one platform only. Okay, cool. All right, just checking. All right, next question from this one. How does, okay, so, right. So someone is a US person. So for, again, as we mentioned earlier, if it is that you are a US person by virtue of substantial presence, do you spend a certain amount of time in the US? So that under section 7701, you should get substantial presence or the green card tests. So you, you do have a green card, you're a lawful permanent resident of the US or you're a US citizen. You're subject to tax in your worldwide income and just 
by virtue of just hopping in a plane and leaving doesn't mean that you've severed tax residency. Uh, the only way of severing tax residency is if you surrender your passport. And we help three or four clients every month surrender a U.S. passport or green card. So it's something that happens, but we, we help way more enter the U.S. So, you know, go figure. So surrender that passport properly to a competent authority, surrender that green card. And again, just because your green card expired doesn't mean that you've ceased to be a resident. We get that all the time. You, even if your green card expires, you may still be a lawful permanent resident in the U.S. unless you've surrendered it. You've, you know, you've taken credible steps to surrender to competent authority, right? However, if it is that you trigger tax residence under, under substantial presence, so you spend more than a certain number of days in the U.S., and the calculation is a bit more complex than most, and that it's not just what's happening in this present year, but there's a look-back period of, of a couple years as well. But once it is that you are outside of oh, you, the number of days in the U.S. and below the threshold, and you're not, you you spend a certain amount of time outside and you're no longer a resident tax resident in the US, then you're fine. So that's one way you can get out. If you were tax resident and a substantial presence, just leave and stay out, you're fine. Other than that, you need to give up your passport or green card. But regardless, you are tax resident. What is someone is asking? What are the implications of opening a foreign company? And again, some people are under the impression that. Hey, you just jump in a plane, you move to Dubai, or you just land in Dubai and you run to the nearest free zone and you open a company and everything that company does is magically tax-free from day one to the US. Ah, spoiler, nope, that's not how it works. Unfortunately, no, there are quite a number of, of rules that are basically anti-deferral rules that, because if it were the case, everybody would do it, right? Just open a foreign company and you, you, you know, that company does its thing and it'll be tax-free to the U.S. unless or until there's some sort of distribution, right? So it doesn't exactly work that. If it is that you control that company or you together with other U.S. exposed persons, other U.S. persons as previously defined, you guys combine and you, you run a company or you, you have shares in that company, that company is considered a CFC or control foreign corp. The U.S. is not the only jurisdiction to have CFC rules. I mean, many developed jurisdictions, developed markets, they have CFC or control foreign corp rules. But from a U.S. point of view, the CFC rules mean that there will be, let's say, de-distributions. Even though the company doesn't pay you whatever, uh, it, doesn't, it, it retains the profit and it doesn't pay it out to you, either as a dividend or, well, or doesn't pay it out as a salary or bonus or dividend or whatever. That doesn't mean that you're tax-free. There'll be deemed distributions under something called guilty, which came into came into existence in 2017 under the uh, Task Task and Jobs Act, and the 2017, I think it was. What else is there? There are the there are also PFIC rules, and this will apply to even companies that are not CFCs as well. You need to have a look and see whether it applies to PFIC rules. And the PFIC rules, I think those came in, in the 1980s under President Reagan. And then you also have subpart F, which I think dates back to the 1950s and 1960s, 1960s, I think it is. So the, the point is these are all anti-default rules. The IRS 
<laughs> regardless of what people think and people say they're pretty smart, you know, and the the US tax regs and uh, regulations, the rules, the procedures are pretty comprehensive. So you'd probably worth was probably worth having a conversation with a qualified tax advisor before you know you make certain steps chances are if you think you've figured out a loophole or you uh, you know these loopholes or these hacks that <laughs> people promote on various uh, places online just have a check have a look and consider it with someone who's us qualified just to make sure that the effect is what you're looking for because again the, the consequences for non-compliance can be pretty aggressive uh, from a U.S. from a U.S. point of view, the, when it comes to international tax rules with the United States, it's a bit counterintuitive. You think that the emphasis is on revenue collection, not really. The emphasis is on reporting, and we know that because the penalties for, let's say, you don't pay taxes. You know, yes, you may get some underpayment penalties or whatever, and you know, there's interest. That would accrue, but the penalties for not reporting foreign bank accounts, for not reporting foreign entities, foreign gifts, and stuff like that, it could be pretty aggressive. From uh, you know, in terms of the civil penalties, it could be pretty draconian, and it could also be criminal penalties as well. You can go to jail, so you know nobody wants to go to jail. So. When, if it is that you are being advised to set up uh, as a U.S. person to set up a company outside of the U.S., just make sure that you speak with an advisor, someone with skin in the game, because uh, often you have these advisors pitching structures, but they have no skin in the game. If it is that it, you know, it doesn't do what they claim it does, you have no recourse because they have no license. They're not uh you know they have no license and no professional liability insurance they they're just trying to sell your product right and as we mentioned earlier and we mention all the time one size does not fit all you need to get someone who sits and listens to you to understand what works in your unique circumstances and i hope that helps keep you out of trouble keep you out of jail right next question and for those who just joined but though, yes, we got the questions that you emailed us in advance, but if you want to ask any questions now, feel free to type in the box below. We have time for probably a couple more questions before we round up towards the top of the hour. Ah, somebody's asking, what if I'm not, uh, yeah, if a U.S. person and they're not up to date with their U.S. taxes? Well, it, it, it really depends on the circumstances, but there are programs that operate there's a program that is quite popular that's an amnesty in all but name the, it's called the streamlined compliance procedure so what it does it, there's a, a look back period of three years for returns three years for the for, to file tax returns for the years for which a due date has already passed so even though you may not you've been out in dubai you may be out wherever for the past 10 15 20 years and you have not filed any returns at all you know i've you know it, it, unfortunately it happens it's too often you know life gets a better view and you know it just doesn't happen right the irs says okay once we haven't started any action against you we you know you come to us before we come to you and in return for that and assuming that your the reason for your non-compliance is non-willful 
would allow you to come in under the streamlined compliance proceeding. What does that mean? So you file, you, you don't have to go back all 10 or 20 years. You just file the last three years, which Judith has already passed, which if you're doing it right now, we're in March, 2023, the due date for 2022 hasn't yet passed, but for 21, 20 and 19, those have passed. So those are the last three years. So you go back, you file those last three years, so the returns is driven, the three-year period is driven by the statute of limitations. And then you have six years for FBARs. FBARs stand for foreign bank account reports. So you need to report the your accounts outside of the US, assuming that the maximum aggregate balance uh, exceeds a certain threshold. And plus all the other reporting, uh, the, re the reporting returns like for gifts, or for the foreign companies or everything uh, and stuff like that. So you package all that. You you work uh, with your tax advisors. You 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 draft a letter explaining your non-compliance, and you submit that package to the streamlining team. And once your non-compliance is really deemed to be non-willful, that's it. You know you pay interest on whatever taxes due. But the the good thing is that you legally avoid penalties. And as we mentioned, penalties can be pretty draconian, right? But yeah, so yeah, it can be pretty aggressive. If it is you have a, a company and you you control a company, let's say in Singapore or Dubai, they, the penalty for not reporting that company annually could be $10,000 per, per company per year, right? That is... Yeah, that, that and don't be don't think that the IRS does not levy that. It, they levy it all the time. It, they are pretty liberal. It happens automatically. So the the, the point is that yes, you you want to make sure that you you consult with a qualified tax team, and if it is that you do qualify for streamline, which you usually do, if your non-compliance is non-willful, then you could submit under that package. If it is that you your non-compliance is deemed to be willful there is the offshore voluntary disclosure which uh, you know and the look back period is, is a bit more i think it's six years for for returns and six years for, for the applies as well it used to be eight years but it's been down to six years and you may ask okay so what's the difference between streamline and the offshore voluntary disclosure the or voluntary disclosure the the reason lies the difference lies around the concept of willfulness it's not defined in any in the tax code right? there's nothing in statute so i think most advisors and lawyers and accountants rely on case law and case law tells us that if there's an intentional uh you you intentionally avoided a, a known legal duty you, it, so there was intent behind it and, and you can probably get into that with your advisors that if there was if there was intent to deliberately avoid or evade paying taxes and you, there was a known legal duty, you knew what you were supposed to do and you deliberately didn't do it, then you may need to look at a voluntary disclosure. If it is that your non-compliance is deemed to be non-willful, you go into streamline. So most of our clients get into streamline, but those who get into the voluntary disclosure because they were willful, we definitely work with lawyers on that because yeah that that is the, the the penalties that around that are much more aggressive so that there are real penalties with streamlined and no penalties just interest so we work with uh lawyers uh, on that lawyers lead that one on the streamlined lawyers can lead but 
uh, most times tax advisors, accountants lead on that. So it really depends on your circumstance. So I hope that helps. If it is that you've not been compliant, you need to catch up on your U.S. taxes. You can reach out to either ourselves or any qualified team of U.S. tax professionals, and they should be happy to talk to you and walk you through that process. Okay, looking back at the questions, and again, if you haven't asked any questions, feel free to type them below, and we could probably do one more. Hmm. Somebody else is asking, uh, where should I be based? Yeah, we this this is a variant of the the question that was asked before. Did really so? Where should you be based as a remote worker? as someone who runs their business remotely, it really depends on your fashion circumstance. One size isn't fit all. Beware of anyone or any team advisors that be even before they met you, they know the answer, right? You need to move to Dubai or Georgia or, or Bulgaria. Every, the answer to everything is Bulgaria or the answer to everything is Georgia. The answer to everything is Dubai. No, it isn't. It depends on your circumstances, right? So for me, per, so I think that question has been answered before, asked and answered before. For me personally, uh, in Asia, my base has been Singapore for the past 10 years. I've been based in Singapore since October, 2013. I think on the 23rd of October, 2013, I moved to Singapore. Amazing jurisdiction. It is, uh, the infrastructure is above first world. Uh, it puts us to, talking to, some of my uh, colleagues in London yesterday and you know just the infrastructure in Europe, UK, US, it just pales in comparison to some of the cities in Asia and Singapore is definitely the, the front of that path. You get beyond first world amenities and benefits, the ease of doing business, it is safe, it is clean, the rule of law, it is a fantastic place and to from which you can operate regionally and that, that's what we do so uh, my team we are a member of Moore's role in asia pacific so we have over 30 offices in 13 asian countries so as far north as tokyo and beijing all the way down to sydney and melbourne so i i sit in singapore but before covid anyway now things are slowly returning to normal but we would travel liberally easily on a weekly basis up and down Asia. So it's a great place to do business throughout Asia. It's tax efficient, world-class banking, everything just works. So I'm a huge fan uh, of Singapore because things just work, you know, For but it is increasingly an expensive place to do business. So as a result, you know, a lot of people prefer to those who can't afford it. And that's understandable. Everyone's situation is different, of course. Uh, KL, Penang in Malaysia, a lot of people like Bali. I, I always caution people with Indonesia. We, we, we have quite a few live streams that we've done on Bali. And I've, I've partnered with my colleague from Moors Roland in Indonesia. Moors Roland in Indonesia is the fifth largest accounting firm in Indonesia. So the head of tax there, Dicky, he, he does live streams with us. And so many people get Bali wrong. And Unfortunately, people end up in a bad way when they, they try to circumvent the rules, they don't pay taxes, they use nominee structures, and it invariably huge risk. And lots of people have been severely hurt financially as a result of taking those risks. So, but people do anyway. Uh, 
So I, I suggest you get advice. Definitely get professional advice if you Indonesia, Philippines, and so on. But yeah, I think Singapore, once you can afford it, is the is the perfect jurisdiction to do work across Asia. But of course, it depends on your situation. Bangkok, a lot of people like Bangkok as well. Hong Kong is reopening. I have people moving back to Hong Kong. Really depends on your situation, right? So in the Middle East and Africa, hands down, it's going to be the Emirates. I'm a huge fan of the Emirates. Uh, I, we, we've spoken about that a lot. Dubai is, is the flavor of the moment. Uh, I caution people about just thinking too long term. You know, proceed with caution anywhere you go. But for right now, there's no real comparison. There's no real competitor to, to, to the Emirates for corporate structuring, as well as to actually to live and reside or to, to have your base. In Europe, tax-wise, um, I, I, I like Spain. I'm, I'm not in Spain, but I'm, given what's been going on in Spain, I think Spain is hugely attractive. But the ease of doing business and the ease of getting things done, uh, not so much. So old school, I still think London, you have to pay for it. It's not cheap, but sometimes, you know, you it's worth investing because it's, you know, it's you get a return on your investment, right? So the ease of doing business, banking, infrastructure, easy access to talent, still like London. And in, so that that's that's my pick for Europe. And in the Americas, I know people like low tax places like, well, well, not low tax, but places that are not as diligent in enforcing the tax rules like Mexico, people of Colombia used to be a thing. I'm not too sure Colombia and Costa Rica and Panama used to be a thing. Uruguay, uh, I'm liking Uruguay. I'm actually speaking with some residency experts on getting residency. And it, it, I'm sorry, I've said Dubai and Uruguay, sorry. Uh, so I'm liking Uruguay. I want to check out Uruguay. I've been speaking to residence experts about Uruguay. I'm hearing good things about Uruguay. Uh, but still, the United States. The United States. Like, again, yes, the taxes. Yes, there's yes, this, yes, that. But again, access to capital markets, access to talent, first world infrastructure. You know, like Miami is one of in the Western Hemisphere is you know one of the few cities that you can basically get to anywhere in the Western Hemisphere in a single flight, and you know just as a great hub for doing business. So just like uh, when you're in London or Dubai or Singapore, it's easy to, especially if you do work internationally, you have clients, you have offices in various jurisdictions like we do. You know, ease of you know the ease of travel is is super important. It becomes convenient, not just for yourself, but for your team members, for important clients. It, it just, it's so helpful. So I like the US, even though, of course, you pay a price. And to me, it's not about chasing the lowest tax jurisdiction. It's about being in a place that works for you. Now, having said that, I think that's it. We've come to the end of our hour. Thank you for joining us. We do these live streams more or less every week, but we reduce, we produce content every day. We have over 2000 articles on our website, over a thousand videos on our YouTube channel and on the various podcast platforms. My name is Darren Joseph, and we hope that we have lived up to your expectations and making 
the sometimes confusing world of international tax and cross-border tax, cross-border taxation, just a little bit easier to understand and navigate. Otherwise, come and look for us with hcj.tax, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. So if you're a six, seven, or eight-figure investor, entrepreneur, or business owner who needs a tailor-made solution from a qualified team of professionals, we can help you achieve the international lifestyle, the freedom, and even the tax savings you're looking for. Visit us at htj.tax and live that international life.